Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. The interview with Olivia continues here in part two the final episode of her story. Let me warn you, this story could trigger memories for some listeners, so take care of yourself. Another warning is, the language in this story is not intended to be heard by children. I have a surprise for you. That's good <laughs> for insightful cleverness on that one. That's Thank very good. You. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. I get you. very high, so you get a 10 out of 10. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> so, I ended up getting in my car. I go to the police station to grab my report, to send my report to my landlords. And then I also went over to a storage unit real quick, got a lease for a storage unit, got the key. Mm -hmm. And then I had asked the police if they would be willing to come and supervise while I get my stuff out. And they told me that I could hire them, but they can't just go do that. Oh, where am I going to get money to hire them when I'm like trying to leave an abusive relationship that I'm like hiring them on a freelance basis? You mean not official? I have no idea. I just asked the police if they would come and supervise. And I guess they told me that I could hire them like I could pay cash huh. and then they could come do it. But they can't just come and sit there and watch. I was like, OK, so I called Christy. I said, I'm good to go. I'm ready to leave. And she said, OK, I'll be there in an hour with with hands. So she came with three men, but I got to the house before them and I walk in the door and he was like, you're leaving me, aren't you? And I said, yes, the police are about to be here. I lied about that too. I said, the police are about to be here. I have Christy and some men coming. They're going to help me get all my stuff out, but I can't do this with you anymore. I'm leaving. And so he's walking around the house, like crying, hitting himself on the head, like following me around. Finally, he ends up just leaving. I was like, perfect. I got all my stuff out. I left. I went to work the next day and my job, I kind of told them what was going on and they were like, you need to go down to the court and get a restraining order. Take some time for yourself. I go down to the courthouse. I file the reports to do a restraining order because in our relationship, anytime I had tried to leave him, he would threaten to end his life, threaten to end his life or end my life too. 
he would just threaten to stalk me, just crazy things that I thought maybe he was just saying to say mm -hmm. to keep me with him. And it did work every time he threatened to kill himself. I was like, okay, I would never want that on anybody. Mm -hmm. So it did tend to help me stay with him. So I go down to the courthouse to file the reports and his parents kind of like reaching out to me telling me, yeah, I got my hair dyed brown today. You know, they were like, just let, you know, do what you have to do, but don't give up on him. He's going to get help and we still want you to be part of our family. Meanwhile, they know we're separated now and they're trying to keep us together still. So I'm at the courthouse and his sister is now texting me and texting me and screenshotting text messages from him saying he messed up, he's so stupid, yada, 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 and then sending them to me while I'm sitting at the courthouse getting mm. ready to file a restraining order. Mm. I was at the courthouse for about three hours, and then the restraining order was granted. I went down to the police station, asked them to please have this served to him. He was served the restraining order. That was a whole ordeal. His parents and everyone knew at that point, like, no third-party contact. Please just leave me alone we had a hearing that would be in two weeks from then. So he gets the report. But a day after I left him, so the day that I actually got the restraining order for him, I forgot that we had a ring camera. And the ring camera dinged, letting me know he had left. I saw that and I was like, okay, I need to stay in hiding because he's out and about. I don't know what he's doing. So you have a ring camera. And where is it set up? In the house, right? It was set up outside of our house. Okay. And it dings when he leaves or when anybody leaves? Is that when it? anybody leaves or when anyone comes? And I saw that he had left. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. You actually physically see him walking away in the scene, right? I see him driving away. Yeah. So I knew that okay. he was out in town. You better lay low, so to speak. Lay low. Well, a couple hours later, it goes back off. He had went and bought a new car and got new license plates and pulled it into the garage to like hide it. That was really scary to me. And I had called the police and let them know. And I had notified like the DV investigator and all that. He had gotten a new car. And they all found that very bizarre that he had a new vehicle a day after I left him with new plates. He went from a black Toyota Tundra to a red Honda. Like totally different. Yes. Wow. And he's not someone who just spends money. Mm -hmm. That was a very weird decision for him to make. It really is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we're getting ready for our hearing that we have in two weeks. Now, is this to get a more permanent protection order? Yeah, a two-year restraining order. So the one that was issued right. was only good for two weeks. Okay. This one was going to be for two years. And in this case, wouldn't he have to be there for the more permanent one? Yes. Okay, okay. Yep. I got there and he got there with his father. They were just staring. It was so uncomfortable. But the domestic... Staring at you or staring at general? Yeah. Okay. Me. Like and looking daggers at you, so to speak, maybe? Yeah, you could just tell like every, it was scary. Like you're messing up our plan, right? Yeah, definitely. Because mom and dad and sister, they all want you to stick around and maybe you could save this guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the local domestic violence resource center had attorneys. And so one of the attorneys was going to represent me in court so that I wouldn't actually have to go in the courtroom with him. And so once she got there, she brought me into a room. And she did all the like talking back and forth. I had told her, hey, when you were talking to him, please let them know that I accidentally grabbed a couple of his suits. I'm going to bring those down to the police station and he can pick them up from there. I just mm -hmm. didn't want him to have any reason to try to contact me. So she said, okay. And so she let him know. And then she comes back and she goes, he also has a box of pots and pans for you. 
So he'll have those dropped off at the police station. And I was like, I don't remember having any more pots and pans there, but sure, cool, okay. As soon as the restraining order was granted, I went directly to the police station. So this is like two minutes. I get to the police station. The police say, oh, no, 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 you can't just drop property off here. You have to actually do the exchange. You can do it here, but you can't just leave property here. You have to physically hand it to that person, you mean? Yes. So I called his father and I said, I guess we can't just drop the property off. We have to physically hand it off. You can come. I don't want him here. His father said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So his father comes. His father says, pop the trunk. I'll put the the box in for you. So I pop the trunk. He puts the box and he takes the suits and he leaves. But I felt weird about the box. So I went to a parking lot and I started looking at the box. There was a bunch of trash on top, but underneath was pictures where like all of my head is ripped off on all of them. There was ripped up love letters, his dead grandfather's sweater. He had wedding ring receipts. He had wedding stuff in there. But the same pictures that he had decided to rip off, he had reprinted. They were still in the the envelope, the picture envelope fresh they were still in there so all those same exact pictures he had reprinted them to put them in the box not a single pot not a single pan so i reported that because i felt that that was like a threat sure well i was that's the return of property it's not a threat it's not a threat no no i wouldn't take it if my head was ripped off a picture as being anything but a return of property it's a return of property exactly it's been changed a little but yeah exactly and nothing 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 to get all upset about nothing at all in that two-week time frame leading up to our hearing, I had actually gone to the police department that has been giving me all this, like, nope, sorry, we can't do this. Nope, you can hire us. Nope, that's the return of property. I had made a report to them of domestic violence assault, and I had given them pictures and all that stuff, and nothing was really happening with it. So I went to the other town where I could report more incidences I just wanted to be able to have as much information and occurrences as I could to make sure that this order would be, to make sure that the order would actually go through. Well, when I went to that other police department and I showed them a video and I was like, I just want to make a couple of reports. They were like, you need to come with us. This is prosecutable. And they started just like, I want everything. They were making me give them all my proof, all of my evidence, all the pictures, all the videos, having me do reports, having me do recordings, calling me, checking to have me tell the story over and over and over again. But within 13 hours, they had a a warrant out for his arrest and they arrested him. And he was out on bail when he came to his hearing at that time. Tell me about the video. What was on the video? It was a video that I had taken and it was actually never intended to be used. I just did it in case this man was going to take my life. We were driving down the road one day talking about our wedding. He wanted to spend more money on a DJ and less money on a photographer. And I wanted to spend more money on a photographer than a DJ. And I was explaining how like pictures, you'll have them forever. And I just want them to look good. He started just screaming at me like, telling me like, I'm planning this wedding for you. You need to respect me. And I kept saying, please stop. Like, please stop yelling at me. I don't want to do this. He wouldn't stop. He's slam. He's driving on the interstate, slamming on the steering wheel, just full on screaming at me. And I had this in case like he drove us into a ditch. I wanted the police to see it. I don't know if that was going to ever happen. So then I saved it. He, it was like, it's so triggering for me to hear to this day. I bet it is. I put it up on my TikTok and a lot of people had actually can still see that video there. 
of just full-on screaming. Fucking sick of it! I'm sick of your shit! Treat me right! I'm sick of this shit! I'm planning this wedding for you. Treat me with respect! Sick of how you fucking talk to me and shit. It's fucking bull. I think it's good for people who are listeners to, especially those that sort of dance around the edges of, well, how how bad can that be? And mm-hmm. people who are just not convinced and, and even people who are victims, sometimes they need that one thing to take them from sitting on the fence to getting over, you know, like exactly. that sounds like this guy that I'm with. And, you know, that's exactly what I found. A lot of people resonated with the video. They were like, oh my gosh, this sounds like my dad. Oh my goodness. This sounds like my boyfriend. I didn't realize that this was abuse. And then you have other people on the other end who are like, this could be reactive abuse. And I'm like, sorry, I don't have the full context here. I'm sorry, I wasn't recording the whole conversation. It was never intended for the entire public to hear. Sure. And that video wasn't actually what was pro- like prosecutable. It was just, I was trying to show them that video is how he was screaming at me and yelling at me in a vehicle when we were having an argument at one point where he grabbed my arm. I tried to call 911. He took the phone out of my hand, wouldn't let me. So I was just trying to use that as an example I ended up turning over a ton of text messages and stuff. And he ended up, he was arrested on, at this time, two counts of domestic violence assault and one count of domestic violence stalking. I didn't even know that he was stalking. I didn't know that stalking is considered stalking when you tell someone to stop texting you and they send you 75 text messages and call you multiple times and keep telling them to stop. And they continue to do that. I didn't know that was stalking, but I guess it is. No, no, I didn't know that either. That's good to know. At that time, so when we actually went to our hearing to get the restraining order, he at that point was out on bail. His family is a very wealthy family, so they have a family attorney. So I had a feeling that it wasn't going to be an easy legal process. Mm -hmm. One thing that was really frustrating for me was that the other police department who kept saying, nope, that's not a threat. Nope, this, nope, that. They hadn't gotten the DA, the report that I had made to them like they still hadn't gotten it out there i kept calling and kept calling and kept calling and finally i was at my wits end i called and i said no i want to speak to your supervisor and if i'm already speaking to your to the supervisor then i want to speak to his boss i'm not doing this anymore and so the boss called me at like 11 30 at night and i woke up and i answered the phone and i was like i'm just very frustrated that they still do not have this report i gave this to you already And he said, I'm really glad that you called Mm -hmm. to follow up on this because sometimes these things slip through the cracks. Oh. Yeah, domestic violence, I guess, slips through the cracks. Yeah, it's not like a real crime. No, not at all. It's not not that bad. No. It's probably probably two people just don't get along. Exactly. That must be how they were taking it. The next day, I got a call from the DA's office. They had the report on their desk. And then three weeks later... He was indicted by the grand jury on three counts of domestic violence assault and two counts of domestic violence stalking. Okay. The DA needed to now bring this to the grand jury because she was trying to bring more charges against him. This could have all been prevented had that police department just gotten them what they needed. Mm -hmm. He was now facing five charges. They wanted to make a plea deal with him. And I was like, I want to go to trial. Like, I just, I was like, I want to go to trial and fight this. Because I had thousands of text messages, pictures, diary notes. I went and got medical reports. I mean, I went through everything to find them, anything and everything that I could. 
I found text messages where he threatened to cut people's heads off with chainsaws and take their eyeballs out. I found text messages where he said he's going to take someone's life. I mean, I went through and found anything and everything. But a lot of those things were never going to be looked at by a judge because you need medical reports, dates, times, text messages. You need so much to prove one thing beyond a reasonable doubt. So I was able to prove five things beyond a reasonable doubt. The other things you can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. They're just text messages. Mm-hmm. I felt that I wanted to fight this. And so their plea deal to him was going to be 30 days in jail. This was the original one, 30 days in jail. And then mental health evaluation, not allowed to own a firearm, probation, no drugs, no alcohol, those types of things. I was like, whatever whatever, send him to jail for 30 days. Fantastic. Good to go. And then I got a call. Hey, so he actually has, he has a job as AVP of lending now at a credit union in Connecticut. And so the only way that he's going to plead guilty is if he can keep his job, but going to jail will mean that he loses his job. So we have to remove the jail time. And so what we're going to do is just ban him from York and Cumberland County unless using I-95 transit to get home. And I said, no, I don't agree with that. We understand that you don't agree with that, but it's really important for us to get him with two red flags or Mm. a couple red flags so that the next time he offends, we can put him in jail. And I said, this is so infuriating. Like, I don't agree with this, Mm -hmm. but they said, we understand you don't agree with it, but this is what we want to do. I'm really disappointed with that. Yes. Me too. Yeah. And yeah. it gets even better. Oh, or worse. Yes. Or worse. So then three days before he's supposed to plead guilty. So June 16th was the day, last year is when he pled guilty. Three days before he pled guilty, he got fired for sexual harassment at that credit union. So they reamended the plea deal so that he can go back to Maine, but he's just banned from York and Cumberland County still. They're not going to add jail time. Okay. That's really very little. And he was only going to get one count of domestic violence stalking, one count of domestic violence assault. The other three would be dropped. So he'd get one assault, one stalking, and then drop. I was very upset with this. We go to our Zoom hearing, and I did my victim impact statement. I made it very clear. I made it very uncomfortable. I made everyone in that room uncomfortable. I wanted them to know exactly what he did to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to feel the same pain that I did. And I ended it with, you may not be going to jail today, but it's only a matter of time before we're here again. And I pretty much ended it there. And then the judge ended up going through with the plea deal and saying that he's banned from York and Cumberland County, unless for work purposes. Oh, so guess who gets a job? That allows him to come into York and Cumberland County. That would be my ex, my abuser. Three weeks after he pled guilty, I had a tournament coming up that he knew about that I was really stressed that he was going to show up to because it wasn't in York or Cumberland County. And when we were in our relationship, he told me I wasn't going to this golf tournament because I was going to flirt with men and he didn't trust me. So I knew that he knew about it and that he wasn't going to be okay that I was going. So I called this probation officer to express that I'm a little stressed that he might try to show up at that golf course. And the probation officer says, well, what's the name of the golf course? And I told him Natanis and he goes silent. He said, he just reported a part-time job there a couple days ago. Oh my God. But he didn't get in trouble for that. 
they just told him not to go on top of that so on top of the box being delivered to me right after the restraining order he hacked my hulu account he had been accessing my email unbeknownst to me for a while so he saw all of the correspondence with the da the attorneys the investigators they were able to pretty much pin that it was him but they couldn't really do anything about it at the time he got the job at the golf course after pleading guilty just recently i had i had a man reach out to me and i was like i don't know this man and i'm not responding to it but he kept popping up on people you may know people you may know so i clicked on to it I go into the account and I start looking through the photos. Sure enough, 2019, him and my ex got their arms wrapped around each other. The two of them work at the same place right now. So I was like, not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And I report, I reported it. And apparently that individual didn't know that I was the Olivia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's quite a few of them. Yeah, there's quite a few Olivia Angstroms. Yes. There was a lot that you know, so much I've just delivered to you and so much that I did, I probably have forgotten, but I ended up sharing my entire story on TikTok, which started out with me trying to save my life because I was convinced he was going to kill me. And I wanted all of that proof and evidence that was never going to be seen out in the world so that the justice system couldn't sweep anything under the rug. I didn't want anything swept under there. And what I didn't expect to happen was so many people to relate to the same text messages, to relate to my stories. And a lot of people were like, oh my goodness, I am being abused. Thank you for sharing your story. I had people who followed me from the beginning where they saw me going through the legal system, the, you know, the dates getting pushed out and pushed out and pushed out and the constant coincidences and Then I started sharing my story after abuse and where I'm going and how a lot of bad, like a lot of bad stuff did happen, but I'm now taking that pain and I'm turning it into power and I'm using my voice. I'm using my story to try and make a difference, to continue to help other people get out of their situations, break the cycle of abuse, and just to have more knowledge around it because it is so common is what I am finding. Almost 100% of the population is impacted by it. If you're not a victim or a survivor yourself, you love someone who is. It's almost a guarantee. I just think that for so long, our society has not talked about it. We've always been told what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. What happens at home, keep your crap at home. No one needs to hear about it. And so because of that, I think so many people fall into this abuse and It happens very gradual or it can happen quick. You know, it's the love bombing, the making you feel special, feeling great. And then it's like that one time they do something and you call them out for it. And then they're like, oh my goodness, I'll never do that again. And then they're giving you a fancy dinner, a warm bath with flowers. And then they're making you feel, okay, I need to give them another chance. And a lot of the times, most of us who are in these relationships We said we were never going to be in an abusive relationship. We were never going to let someone treat us that way. And then once you're in it, you start to believe that maybe you're the problem. Maybe you're the reason this person acts this way. My abuser used to do that to me all the time. He would tell me, you got to stay away from Christy. You got to stay away from so-and-so. You got to stay away from that person. Your mom sucks. But the second that I called him out for being a narcissist or an abuser or a manipulator, he would say, First, it's your mom, then it's Christy, then it's so-and-so, then it's so-and-so, then it's me. When are you going to ask yourself if you're the problem? 
And then I'm sitting there like, maybe I'm the problem. It starts out like that. And the next thing you know, it might just start with a little hand grab and then it's a little shove. And then the next thing you know, you're getting choked and it just happens so quick. People tend to think that abuse is only when you're beaten black and blue, but that's not the case. That's when it's gone way too far. There's a lot of things that happen leading up to that. I could have lost my life several times in this relationship, and I'm so fortunate and so blessed that I am here today. And I just hope that other people can have that same, that same path that they can get out and just understand that abuse is more common than you think. And I just wouldn't want anyone to go through the same situation that I have. I have a scout alarm in my house that the police have installed because I'm still a high lethality case my reality will never be the same. It's never going to be the same. I will always be looking over my shoulder as a survivor. I don't want anybody to ever get to that point or be in that situation, but it's better to be in that situation than it is to not be here. Listening to you and speaking with you is, uh, I'm just amazed at how well you've managed to keep everything lined up in your head. All the actions you took, you know, once you started to get your arms around this thing a little bit, all the actions you took, all the things you saved and chronicled, even though you were starting to buy into an idea that maybe you were the problem or the cause or your fault, all those type of things, which is too bad, but that's what comes with this. You know, when you get into the the quicksand of these relationships, you go down pretty far before you start to squirm to get out. And then then squirming to get out sometimes makes you get in even deeper. It was interesting, too, that interesting and disappointing how the family knew so much about this guy. And they had you pegged as the person who would somehow be the lifeboat here and pull this guy out. And then when you didn't do it, then they turned on you. You know, they became this unified force. And it's like, well, if you can't fix them, then I guess we're going to fix you. You know, we're going to, we're going to stare you down and we're going to bring the full fury because blood is thicker than water. And so if we can't save you, we're going to save him at least, you know, and, and now you've become the enemy, you know, you're on the outs, you're, you're the enemy. Um, but I mean, I think all the, all the advice and I think you did a very good job, brilliant job of letting listeners in on the fact that it can happen to anybody, no matter how smart they are. And obviously you are super smart. Thank you. I can see why he was attracted to you immediately, but I can also get angry about how he wanted to then get in there somehow and change you around and, and kind of play with your feelings and your self-esteem and try to dial you into something that that was some picture he had in his horrible head, you know, to turn you into something else than than this very... And I, when I say attractive in this case, I mean, just overall, you know, your whole persona, everything about you is just something that, you know, just to be admired and respected and taken really good care of. And, and yet to use you as some kind of a target to make him feel maybe better about his creepy self, you know, that, that whole thing is just so, it's just so deeply disturbing. And I think the only redeeming thing is that you got out. Exactly. The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So 
It's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, prepackaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. One thing I just want to dive into a detail here, if I could for a minute. You said you have a scout, did you call it, that the police put in? So what is what is a scout and what does it do? With the domestic violence resource centers, I don't know if it's like this with everywheres, but the domestic violence resource center in my area has a good relationship with the police department. Mm-hmm. My police department had their own... I live, not the police departments who were actually involved in the case mm-hmm. itself, but the, the one where I live now. Yes. They had their own situation with him because he had called them and said, well, if I do this, would this violate the order? If I do this, does this violate the order? And they could just tell that they were dealing with a very manipulative individual. That, and then just my case in general, the domestic violence investigator and the domestic violence resource center felt that I needed to have one of their scout alarms. So they have three in the entire city. There are only three that have been installed in the whole city? They only have three in general. They they don't have any more than three. So if they have 10 people who are in a domestic violence situation, the top three cases will have one until someone else's case bumps there. So if an abuser ends up going to jail, then they'll take it out and they'll go give it to the next person who needs it. So what is that? What, how does that work? It's kind of a little scary looking to me, if I'm being quite honest with you. I tend to put it under my desk, so it's like out of sight, out of mind. It kind of looks like a bomb in one way. But it's basically an alarm, and then you get like this little necklace that has like a button. Yes. And when you push this button, all of dispatch in my city is told to get to my address immediately and that a scout alarm is going off. Okay. So. If my abuser shows up, I press the button and then the police should be here within two minutes. If in any moment someone else's domestic violence situation becomes more dangerous than mine, then they would take it out. Why do you suppose there are only three? I mean, if there's if there are 10, let's just say women, chances are, if there are 10 yep. women survivor, potentially, well, maybe victim or potential victim, if there's 10 of them, then why don't they have 10 of these? They want to avoid, and it's not even necessarily the city. I think it's the actual company. They want to reduce the number of accidental or not life-threatening calls because all of dispatch is going to be told to get to this address immediately. And it's the first thing they have to respond to. So they end up having 10 and then four people or like they're getting a lot of scout calls then some, because I mean, you can accidentally press the button very easily and you got to like immediately try to call them to tell them you're all set. Is this one of these hit and hold for three seconds? Is that what that is? You just hit it and they're coming. Oh, one hit and you're good. Oh yeah, they're coming. But they very specific, they tell you very clearly like press the button, but always call 911 because technology fails in some cases. And maybe the battery, who checks in on the battery? 
so they come and do a check usually every couple months. The last time they came, actually, mine wasn't working. And so he brought it down to the police station real quick. And he was like, yep, this isn't working. So he went to someone else's house and took their scout alarm, oh. put it in my house. And then they had to mail out the other one. Oh, my. So it's all based on how severe the case is. And that's kind of where I get a little stressed and a little triggered because I'm like, okay, I've had this for over a year now. What is it about my case that makes it so that you have to take the scout alarm out of someone else's house to put it in mine? I just feel like sometimes they don't tell me everything. My DV investigator has a lot of contact with his probation officer. I'm sure that they know more than I do. Actually, I can't even believe I didn't say this. I was getting ready to tell you. So his former CEO had to get a protection from harassment order as well against him because he was harassing her after she fired him. And she had given him like a cease and desist letter and he didn't obey it. And he had hacked into her email, her calendar. But when I started sharing my story on TikTok, more than 27 other women in the main credit union industry came forward and said that he had either harassed or assaulted them as well. Mm. And there's been 37 victims of his that have come forward and said, hey, he did this to me too. I think the police know more than I do in this case. That might be why I still have this scout alarm. The domestic violence resource centers, I didn't even know what one was until I was going through my situation. I was told to call and I was like, I don't need to talk to someone about my problems. But I didn't know that they have like legal assistance. They have housing assistance. They can. Yes. They yes, actually sir. bought me cameras for my house. They help a lot. And so it's really important to get involved with your local domestic violence resource center because they have these connections with the police departments in most cases. Having them involved in that can honestly make a huge difference. And I'm fortunate to live in the town that I do now because you know, my DB investigator has been a huge advocate. I'm constantly making claims to him because you have to basically when he hacked into my Hulu, I have to file that yes. so that I can build a record in case I need to file another case of domestic violence stalking. You want them to know that he's still at it. Yes, exactly. And I actually have to, I will have to face him in court again in six months to try and get my order renewed. Yeah, these things tend not to go away, don't they? They just no, uh, they don't. They really stick around, especially when the ones that are so deeply disturbing and messed up, like this particular guy. I'm just happy and fortunate that he's not in the credit union industry anymore. He's not in the insurance industry. I'm the director of a credit union service organization. We have been building and developing a program called CU Safe. And CU Safe actually works with the domestic violence resource centers. And when there's a financial need or we know that a, a victim or a survivor's credit has been damaged, we connect them with a credit union and the credit union helps them with the financial counseling, coaching, gives them a loan, whether that loan is for a first month, last month security deposit, whether it's for legal fees or maybe it's for a vehicle to help the survivors and the victims because the financial abuse was a big reason that I stayed for as long as I did. But it has been, my story has been very powerful in this initiative because it opens the eyes to the credit union industry to say, listen, this happened right here in your industry. This mm -hmm. happened right here. Yeah. And it's not just about the people in the community. You have to think about your employees as well mm -hmm. and what they're going through and how to connect them back to the domestic violence resource centers. 
And it's just kind of come full circle. Actually, my CEO now is the CEO who had back in the day hired my ex to that insurance agency. How about that? Yeah, it's crazy how it all came together. And the uh, CEO who ended up firing him, she is the mother I never had. So her and I are very close. And I lost a lot of relationships out of this. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. He got his story out to other people and I didn't feel the need to chase and, and tell them my story. But I also gained a lot of amazing relationships too. That is one thing I can even, I'm not going to go into my story, but but I've met a lot of great people since my daughter's tragedy. A lot of just incredible, strong, smart, committed, loyal people. And most of them women to be really direct. I mean, really, yeah. I want to say north of 90% of the people are all women. You know, I'm, I'm glad they include me in their group. You know, it's yeah. nice. So when you mentioned CU SAFE, SAFE, what does that, what does that stand for? SAFE. Survivor Advocacy for Financial Empowerment. Okay, great. So we've been partnering. It's pretty cool. We've been creating and partnering with other fintechs and credit union service organizations to create an ecosystem that helps cut as many strings as we possibly can to help survivors. So we're, we actually just signed a MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, with a company who has an app that is, it's so cool. You can actually pick what you want the app to look like. And then you create a fake pin and a real pin. And when you create your fake pin, you can put like pictures and stuff in it. So if your abuser's like, I want to see this right now, you put in your fake pin and that's great. But you put your real pin in and it'll actually show you where your local domestic violence resource center is. You can talk to people. You can program three numbers. You can program three friends, three police stations, so that in the event that you're in an emergency, you hit the button, the button immediately starts recording for legal purposes, and it immediately calls all of those people and tells them where your geographic location is. And then if you decide that you want to connect with the Domestic Violence Resource Center, we get you there. And then the Domestic Violence Resource Center decides what's your need. If there's a financial need, then they get you to the credit union. We've also been partnering with a phone company who's going to be providing or donating SIM cards so that survivors and victims can pop a SIM card in and out of their phone to make phone calls and text messages as needed. And their abuser will never know that the other SIM card was ever removed and then put back in. Brilliant. We're just trying to solve anything that we possibly can and help other people get out. You are a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> Thank you. I, I would say the same about you. I would never want to be your enemy. I can tell you. <laughs> I just I want to stay on your good side. And if you see me veering out of that lane, please be nice and just say, Bill, come on back. Come on back. I don't think I have to worry about that with you. <laughs> okay. Well, that's very nice. You know, there's somebody who I um, really admired. I've just met who wrote something. It was the end of an email and I'd like to read it. And yeah. it's, of course it's from you. It says as fellow survivors and advocates, I believe we could share valuable insights and experiences that could further our mission to make a lasting change in the lives of domestic violence victims. How about that? You're doing it. Thank you. Have been doing it, are doing it, will do it. That's great. I believe it's it's really crazy because as a child, I 
I survived domestic violence. I've been on my own since I was 18. And I said I was never going to fall into that cycle. And I did. But I really, as awful as it is that I went through everything that I did, I firmly believe that I went through it for a reason. And I think that reason was to show me my purpose. And my purpose is just to help other people to bring more light to domestic violence and so that we can start trying to to save more lives and really start to reduce domestic violence as a whole. And I think we can do that. It takes a lot of people like yourself and other survivors mm-hmm. to yes, come together and do that. Yeah, it really is a lot. And, and uh, I, you know, the one question I, I, uh, I won't ask you, but I think about, and I have asked some people, is do you think there's more domestic violence or do you think it's reported more often? Because you do hear about it more. I mean, really, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, you wouldn't hear very much about it. Can I just answer that? I know you said you weren't asking me, but I want to answer. Well, I wasn't going to put you on the spot. So, okay, you put yourself on the spot. Go right ahead. Yeah, I think that's a great question. What I think happens is that even the ones that are reported, I was doing some research. 60% of domestic violence cases that are reported are dismissed. When you look at the number of homicides that we have in our, we're the fourth country with the highest homicide rate as of two months ago. And when you look at those homicides, about 78% included intimate partner violence. And then you think about the fact that 60% of domestic violence cases are being dismissed. And you look at my cases where I had to fight and advocate and, and reach out several times. Not every victim or survivor is going to reach out to a police department seven times when they already think that they're the problem. I just think that we have a bigger issue when it comes to the legal system. We need to make sure that the police answering these phone calls or taking these cases are taking them very serious because I do think that a lot of it is reported. And I think that a lot of it, it gets dismissed. I sat on a panel where the DA and the chief of police were in the audience. And at the end, they were asking questions and Somebody asked the DA, do judges receive domestic violence training? And she said, no, they don't want the judge to be pro-victim. Oh. I don't think that it has anything to do with pro-victim. It has to do with education. Yeah, it's called an enlightenment, wouldn't it be? Yeah. So I just think that we have a really big situation with the legal system. They don't take it very serious. And they're waiting until there's a homicide to actually take action. But why are we not getting on the front end of that before it even gets there? Why are we not making it? harsher consequences that make abusers fear the consequences of abusing. We know not all of them are going to fear the consequences, Mm -hmm. but we need to make them fear what's going to happen when they do something like that and hold them accountable for those actions, not give them two chances and wait till the next time they offend because the next time might be someone's life. And is it really worth it? Yeah. And there are plenty of victims who almost get killed who live, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're disfigured. Or they're, mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I, I hear all those stories too. You know, I hear about some judge that's sitting up there and, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the rape victim in front of the judge or whoever it is, police, you know, who said, well, what were you wearing you know, to the woman who was raped? Well, what were you wearing? It's almost like, well, don't you see in your own way, you were sort of asking for it. I could have been naked. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing. Doesn't right. matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's crazy. I actually went to the governor. I was, <laughs> I went, I was at the. A force to be reckoned with. <laughs> I was at the state house one time and, and the governor, I saw her in the lobby. I walked right up. I was like, I'd like to talk to you for a moment. And she was like, 
one second and she needs to have her assistants come over so that, you know, I couldn't say she said something she didn't say. It was interesting talking to her. I had explained my a little bit of my situation and I had said, you know, he has a lifetime firearm ban. She goes, oh, so he's a felon. I said, no, he's not a felon. He got misdemeanors. She goes, well, if he has a lifetime firearm, he has to be a felon. I said, no, what I'm telling you is they made a plea deal with him. He has a misdemeanor, two misdemeanors with the lifetime firearm ban. And she was just kind of like so puzzled. She's like, I don't get how that works. And it's kind of like, well, let's talk to the judges because this is the plea deal that they made. But you have a governor who has no idea. I talked to several male state reps and I told them what was going on. And they were all like, that's how domestic violence is handled. That scares me. I have daughters of my own. I'm like, yeah, that's what's going on right now. You have people in the state house who have no idea. Right. Well, you know, if somebody has daughters, that might wake them up a little. And if it happens in their family, that might wake them up a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a shame it has to go that far, but sometimes it has to go that far. Agreed. Right. Olivia, thank you so much for all your time and for telling us everything you told us today. I mean, you really, you hit your stride there. And I don't know. I, I don't think I've had anybody on so far who has said so many things that are so clear and understandable, has lined it all up the way you have, have made such great points. I'm glad I wasn't taking notes because I'd have writer's cramp and carpal tunnel syndrome at this point (laughs) in time. You know, you said so much that's worth writing down and remembering. So I'm glad that this is a recording and that others can listen to it and they can take their own notes or or even better play it for those who need to hear it. So thank you for us finding each other. And I just, uh, I'd, I'd love to kind of keep an eye on you and see you safe and the company, the organization. Plus, I'd like to see you safe. And so I hope we can stay in touch as this has really been been more than I could have ever imagined. And you and I just set this up like a day or two ago. So you know, I know you you, uh, you you brought it all today. Thank you. It's really great. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I really I really appreciate it, and I'm honored to have this opportunity oh, to talk with oh, you. That's very nice. Same here. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank Take you. good care, please. Thanks. You too. This ends part two, the final part of Olivia's story. She is fortunate to be alive today. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.